Good morning and welcome into the Capitals Ace Hardware DNR Report on KSON. Check out Capitals Ace Hardware in downtown Atlantic for your hunting and fishing needs. We have Brian Hayes with us in studio from the DNR office in Lewis. Brian, the Chickadee Checkoff. Haven't talked about this one for a while. It's line 57 on that tax return, a donation opportunity. Yeah, you see that in the news about tax time. W-2s are coming in the mail and that kind of things. And so it made me think of the, the Chickadee Checkoff, um, which is a, a way for people to donate to our non-game program. Um, these funds are vital, you know, to some of the habitat restoration programs and some of the work uh, the folks in our non-game section do for non-game wildlife. So these are the uh, the butterflies, the songbirds, the bald eagles, the salamanders, turtle species, the non-game species that uh, can always use uh, some help and assistance along the way. Um, in fact, if you really get to looking at it, there's a thousand plus you know non-game species in the state of Iowa. Last year in Iowa. 6,200 taxpayers donated $150,000 through the, the chickadee checkoff. So thanks to those, but um, there's always, I guess, room for, for more. Um, these funds are, are pretty vital. Um, this program, um, having this line item on your 1040 tax return began back in the 80s. And... Uh, so it's been around for quite a while. It's easy to miss as you're filling out your tax tax return or having to prepare to do your taxes. So um, if you think about it and if you're so kind or, to do, um, think about donating to Iowa's uh, non-game wildlife programs. Um, some recent projects that have been funded through the Chickadee Checkoff include... Uh, Investigations into nesting success of, of barn owls. Um, I know barn owls, would, there's a small population of them around Adair County. The, every now and then one shows up in Adair County, but they're, they're not seen very often and, and not, very many, not very plentiful in the state, I should say. Another project was determining the status of the endangered rusty patch bumblebee. So those are some of the projects um, that uh, fall under the category of the uh, the non-game species, and uh, we have a Iowa DNR has a uh, a small team that makes up that non-game program, um, and so any donations are always welcome. Um, our non-game biologist points out that if every tax preparer would donate one dollar, it would mean one point six million dollars annually to uh, to non-game species in the state of Iowa. Brian, the uh, January thirty-first date is uh, going to be here pretty soon next week, and the end of the quail season uh, is January thirty-first. Yeah, the thirty-first is. You know, I guess another one of those milestone days on the calendar of uh, of the uh, bird hunters in the state. You know, the quail season closes. Um, pheasant season has been closed since January 10th, but um, for whatever reason, the quail um, are fair game until uh, 
January 31st. This year was a really good year um, to take advantage of that extended season, if you will. Um, for one, the conditions were good, were really favorable for, for hunting quail. Um, not a lot of snow, pretty easy walking, um, some milder temperatures for January. Um, and uh, so I, for one, took advantage of that. You know, they're, and the quail numbers have improved over recent years. In fact, our roadside counts that we did back in August kind of showed a, a doubling of the population. And, and that's the way quail species are, that they're, they rebound really quick, but their populations can crash really quick. So they're just up and down depending on nesting conditions and, and nest success. Um, and so I guess with that, with, when populations are that variable up and down, you know, harvest has very little impact uh, to the overall population and the population trends. It's more weather and habitat that, that drive that. Habitat the quail favor um, are... Uh, brushy fence rows, brushy type habitat. Had an old timer once tell me that um, quail like to be able to see their feet. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they like to be able to see their feet. And and uh, so what he meant by that, they like to be, you know, on bare ground, underneath those plum thickets. You know, that provides overhead cover and protection from hawks. Um, the quail can easily move around um, through that bare ground. So look for them in those brushy fence rows plum thickets. Um, a lot of our native grass CRP fields have uh, benefited quail populations as opposed to brome grass CRP fields. Uh, the quail can move through uh, the native grasses a lot easier. Those grasses tend to grow in clumps, leaving uh, you know bare ground but you know between the clumps of grass and uh, more recently, the pollinator mixes that have been added to uh, the Conservation Reserve Program is providing some good quail habitat. So um, don't be surprised if, you, if you're out with a good bird dog, you'll, you'll come across some quail. But that's all coming to the end here Tuesday for this year. Um, but uh, so we thought we'd bring that up. That's kind of, I mean, we've been closing seasons one after another seems like every week on this program and, and that's the next one to close the nr report is brought to us by capels ace hardware we're going to hear from capels back with the rest of the dnr report in a moment dnr report on 96.5 ksom i'm bennett blake i'm joined by fisheries biologist brian hayes and we'll talk ice fishing in a minute but before we get to that brian Trumpeter swans, we're starting to see those uh, more and more. And, you know, if you look real closely, it's a pretty interesting creature. They are. They're quite the, the bird. The majest, they're really majestic. Um, North America's largest waterfowl species, 32 pounds and an 8-foot wingspan. And it's just really cool seeing them around. You know, we talked about that non-game program and that chickadee checkoff. Well, here's another example of... Uh, some of the benefits to uh, the non-game program was the, the swan restoration effort. Um, if you look back at the history of the swans, they were once common in Iowa. So back in like the 1880s, um, they were common prior to that. But by the 1880s, they were gone from the state of Iowa. Um, in 1930, 
There was only 69 remaining trumpeter swans in the lower 48 states. So 69 trumpeter swans in the lower 48 states in the 1930s. Um, now today, overwintering at, you know, at the Shelburne Quarry, you know, we at times we probably approach uh, 69 trumpeter swans right here locally. So pretty cool, pretty successful restoration project. Um, that be, that project began in 1993, um, a restoration effort with a plan to bring trumpeter swans back to Iowa after 115 year absence. Um, through that program, uh, 1,200 swans were released, and uh, the first wild uh, successful nest was in 1998, but since then it's grown from there, and uh, it's not uncommon to see uh, trumpeter swans overwintering in Iowa, passing through Iowa, and even um, on your summer fishing trips, don't be surprised if you see trumpeter swans at places like Viking Lake or Lake Anita. So a really successful restoration program. Uh, you can see evidence right here locally. Ice fishing season alive and well? Yeah, we're not losing ice anytime soon. Um, this weekend forecast will probably even build on some ice. We've said it many times that uh, you don't build ice in February. Um, but there are some years when we do, and this might be one of them. Um, so we don't anticipate losing ice, so we'll have some safe ice to get out there and fish for the next, at least the foreseeable future. Um, the reports have actually picked up. Last week's uh, fishing report we did, we put together on Thursday, um, showed improved fishing at Prairie Rose. I know of some People that have had some successful trips to uh, Lake Anita, um, Meadow Lakes, another one, Mormon Trail, all we've gotten reports of successful trips to all of those places. Um, so now that we're going to close the quail season, the focus might even change more to ice fishing. So put away, put away one pair of boots, and I'll get out another. Brian, the uh, seasonal opportunities are always there with the DNR, and uh, now you've been looking for some positions. Yeah, DNR Fisheries, we hire 55 seasonal uh, workers across the state, and I just got done spending four days of interviewing you know, college students, uh, recent college graduates, um, people that have applied to our um, seasonal positions. Um, and that's no small task, filling 55 positions across the state. Uh, these people play a vital role as far as filling in for us during our busy time. Um, they help us with a lot of our field work during the summer. And uh, so they're, they're very valuable. And at the same time, these seasonals, these interns are gaining valuable experience um, to hopefully you know, make it a career in fisheries. Um, so I spent four days doing that. Um, part of that process was a technical questions on the interview, just to gauge where these people are with knowledge of fisheries. So Bennett, you know, we've been doing this radio show for about 10 years. 
and I brought one of those questions for you. I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. Oh, no. So Bennett lists three ways that a fisheries biologist can improve a fishery in a lake, pond, or river. Okay. Three, um, three ways a fisheries biologist can improve a, a fishery in a lake, pond, or river. Drawdown. Lake drawdown. Restocking. Stocking is a good one. Um, how about, na- uh, okay. Fish- oh, habitat. Yeah, habitat improvement. Yeah, those are all good. Um, Whew, I usually ask the questions. Thought I'd throw <laughs> one at you today, today Bennett. But uh, it was interesting listening to uh, people that are pretty new to the field try and answer that question because there's hundreds of ways a fishery biologist can improve a fishery. You know, starting so, with water quality. So you can't hardly get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you just you can just start with water quality. You can think about a project like Prairie Rose and all the work that went into there, starting with the watershed work, um, getting rid of the common carp to improve water quality, and then the restocking effort. Link limits, bag limits, those can all be part of a way to improve a fishery. So good job, Bennett. We'll score you high on this one. <laughs> I'm off the hook. <laughs> Well, Brian, thanks uh, for letting me off the, uh, the test a little easy there. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. You bet. Thank you, Bennett. DNR Report is brought to us on KSOM by Capels Ace Hardware.